Well, good morning, and welcome to the last day of the year. As we said, I was joking, but I'm not really all that funny, I've discovered, but uh, I think so. Uh, but I was joking that it's preschool day. Someone said, what, what do you mean by preschool day? It's one, two, three, one, two, three. It's the end of the, see, I'm not that funny. Um, but as we, here we are at the end of the year, and it's one of those times of the year where we do reflect back, and... I encourage you, as uh, we're preparing, to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. As Scott mentioned earlier this morning, this is a familiar text to us. We're here digging into it again, and as we dig into it again, we are overjoyed because of the time of year that it is, but because of the truth that is found in the text that is before us. It is the most profound of truths, that you and I hold the Word of God, the very Word of God, that is the Lord communicating to us all that is necessary to be complete for every good work that he has designed for us to do. In light of that, we also come here at the beginning of this season and uh, this uh, reflection back. And so we're asking the question, how do we build a foundation upon which to, to continue the construction for 2024 every year? On the week after Christmas and before New Year, their lists are produced, and you've certainly seen these. If you've spent any time online, you uh, watch the news agencies, they tend to gloat in themselves, what's our best news articles of the year? <laughs> Which ones do you actually read? Uh, those kinds of lists that come out, and, but all kinds of uh, range of topics from the top news stories to notable deaths of 2023 to the best books of 2023, and there's even a list of the best lists of 2023. Uh, We like these kinds of things to reflect back on, and these lists provide opportunities to catch a glimpse of the passing of a year in a a short little segment. Uh, It causes a little bit of nostalgia as we begin to reflect and maybe grateful that we're leaving 2023. An opportunity to move on to a new year, and we view the new year as a fresh start often. And so uh, we're looking forward to that, or maybe we're looking back to a time spent with family. We're seeing kids growing up. Whatever it happens to be, we catch a glimpse of the passing of time by these lists. It provides opportunities for reflection on time wasted and time redeemed. A reflection on the brevity of life and the cultural changes that as soon as they happen, they become events of history unfolded before our eyes. Optimistically speaking, it aligns our perspectives for the new year. So we look ahead. And so optimistically, we're, we're looking to the future of things that are to come. If the Lord does not return before the end of 2024, what do we need? That's our question that we're really asking uh, this morning. What is it that we need if the Lord does not return uh, before the end of 2024? And really, that is the question of our central idea. What does the church need today? What does the church need today? A year from today is an interesting date because according to the societal experts, on December 31st of 2024, Generation Alpha will draw to a close, and on January, January, January 1st, 2025, a new generation, Generation Beta, will welcome its first members. We are about to see 
a time in the history of humanity where eight generations are alive at the exact same time. Eight generations. Going all the way back to the great generation that will be in their upper 90s and well into their hundreds, uh, that generation and the members of that that remain will join and welcome the members of the generation beta almost, almost 120 years after them. Not quite, but almost. It is an interesting season because no time in history have we had eight generations alive at the same time. It's also fascinating because we see as generations used to be identified by significant societal events, such as the Great Awakening, or the Industrial Revolution, or the Enlightenment period. That's how generations used to be defined, because technologies and advancements in society were so slow that those generations would last 20, even 30 years. But today, generations last about 15 to 16 years. And so what we see is a rapid increase of technological advancements. We see uh, the societal changes impacting each generation dramatically far faster than any time before. And that leaves us with eight different generations of thinking in the church. What does the church need today? Because every generation has an answer for that. Every generation says, well, my preferences are what the church needs today. My desires are what the church needs today. And if you did what I desired, the church would grow. But the answer is, perhaps, for a generation it will. But what does the eight-generation church need? This next year, we're going to be working on these elements, and you're going to see a lot of them come out in the annual meeting as we have been planning and preparing and anticipating for these significant societal changes while remaining firm in our foundations. And so this week and next week, we're going to dig into hearing the Word of God and applying the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to dig into the real answer to what the church needs today, and that is the Word of God. We must be rooted, founded, and foundationally grasping the Word of God as it was written. And so we have that for today. And next week, it is not to uh, tout the person behind the pulpit, but it is something that you and I need to know. Because through eight generations, believe it or not, we hear things differently. Have you noticed this with your children? When you talk to your children, you think, I've communicated clearly to my children, and they don't hear it. We need a lesson on listening to the message of God's Word. And so that's where we're going to be next week. And then we're going to shift this series to the Sunday evening series. And we're going to continue on in our First Thessalonians series here in the morning. So that gives you a little bit of where we're going and why we're going there. Because we're really asking the question, is the church ready for eight generations? And if not, what must we do to be ready? And so as we dig into 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 3, Verse 16 and 17, familiar, you've memorized it, whether you're in Awana, you're a helper in Awana, maybe in Sunday school, if you have not memorized it, mark it up, memorize it, this is what Scripture says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we fall before you today as those who are a needy people. We don't think we are. We often will heap to ourselves those things that make us comfortable. We'll often heap to ourselves the consumeristic ideals. And yet as we begin to see eight generations, there is a bit of this that sparks fear in our hearts because we see technology changing, we see societal changes, we see where Uh, There is an increase in crime. We're concerned about the young people. We're concerned about the way that they will turn out. Lord, all these things are burdens to our souls. And yet your word speaks to each and every one of these things. So I pray that today as we dig into your word to understand its sufficiency, its authority, its inspiration, and then how it should cause us to mature in Christ, I ask that you would help us to listen well And to begin to apply well, it's easy for us to write this off as that which belongs to somebody else, but I pray that we'd be diligent and faithful and obedient to you, that your name would be glorified in all that we do and say today. Lord, give me the words to speak, that they would be from you. Today is this last day of 2023, with the ambition of 2024, I pray that we would start out with a zealous understanding of your word that would not diminish throughout this year as we recognize what generation beta is going to need should you tarry. So Lord, give us uh, a time in your word that is that which uh, challenges us, convicts us where we need conviction, uh, or time that would allow the passage to speak to our hearts and to our lives that we would be changed for your glory. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray these things. Amen. What does the church need today. The church needs the foundation of God's Word. And how do I know that the church today needs this? Well, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 that we need this. We're going to see this unfold beginning in verse 16 as we have already read the text. Let me start with just the two first words of verse 16. It says, all Scripture. You and I live in a day and age where suddenly there's all kinds of Scriptures. If you're watching the news or you're watching some event and they're talking about historical factors or anything like that, you begin to hear the word scriptures over and over and over and over again. It used to be a term that was relegated to the texts of the Bible. And yet today it is being used as a common word that would refer to any religious system's holy writings. Is that what Paul means when he uses the word scriptures? And so we need to understand what is Scripture. What is Scripture? The church does not need to be uh, attuned uh, to societal changes to begin with. We first must obey. So before we can address the issues of Generation Beta or Generation Alpha, which some of you may not even known have has even existed, and yet next year, 2024 will welcome the last year of that generation. That entire generation has come onto the scene, and we just named it two years ago, actually. The entire generation is already here. As we recognize the societal change, we don't need to start there. We need to start first in obedience. 
Therefore, we are reminding ourselves of the necessity to begin the new year on the firm foundation of the Word of God. We live in a consumeristic, commercial society in which it's very easy even for Christians to come into the body of Christ and begin to say, ah, this is what I want. And because this is what I want, and it's the style that I want, this must be what God wants. That's not what God wants. If it satisfies the cravings of the flesh, that is not God's desire or design. If you are not convicted by the words spoken in the music or in the message, then you are not being obedient to the pages of Scripture. There should be an element of conviction. There should be an element of glorifying God. There should be the element of putting on the new and taking off the old every time we draw near to the things of the Lord. Let us be found faithful in being convicted of these things and drawn in to the truths of these things. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, Paul wants Timothy to have full confidence in the Scriptures, that we have everything. He believes, Paul believes, that everything that Timothy needs to fulfill a faithful ministry and an obedient life while making a significant declaration to the origin of the Scriptures, is found in the Scriptures. That's what Paul believes. And so Paul is making a very clear, distinctive statement. Every religious system seems to have their sacred writings. So what are the Scriptures? Verse 15. Go back one verse here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 15. The scripture says this, and from childhood, actually let me back at 14, but as you know, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15 reveals that Paul was referencing the discipleship investment into his life by his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice who had taught him the sacred writings. This is the same word that Paul uses in the next verse, in verse 16, as he speaks of the Scriptures. And here, Paul is referencing the Old Testament writings. In fact, in the New Testament, there are at least 50 times where this term is used in reference to the Scriptures. And the majority of them refer to the Old Testament. And so Paul is affirming, as Christ did in Luke 24 the faithfulness, the accuracy, the inspiration, and the authority of the Old Testament. Peter is going to use the same word in the text that Scott read for us to begin the service as well. And let's turn over to 2 Peter as well. Keep your finger here in 2 Timothy as we'll return. But 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want us to walk through the text that Scott read for us briefly As it is not our intention to gain deep understanding, it's our intention to understand the text. So we want the umbrella approach this morning. Peter uses this word in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 as well. It's odd that they would fall in the second book, in the third chapter, in the 16th verse of the chapter for both Peter and and Paul, who's writing to Timothy. But notice 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 16, as he says this, 
as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Paul, or Peter rather, uses this word in this verse, and I wanted us just to read this verse to understand. There's some context to follow, but he's leading to the point that exhorts his readers to live in a manner consistent with the coming day of the Lord. So Peter is saying, I want you to listen to Paul because Paul has already written on this. And what is it that he had already written on? Verses 8 through 14 reveal the coming day of the Lord, this great day of destruction that will be at the, millennial, at the end of the millennial period where the heavens and earth will melt away. And Paul, or Peter rather, asks the question, what kind of people ought you to be? In light of this, in light of what God will do to this planet, how does that change the way you live today? How should that affect the way that you live today? So Peter is building this case that if there was any delay in the arrival of the Lord, that we are to count that exercise as patience for the sake of salvation. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says to them, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, who wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. So there's some very specific instructions. What should you do? What did Paul do? Those are two elements that come out of this text. What should you do? You should be prepared to present yourselves without blemish and without spot when the Lord will deal finally and completely with this earth. But how? But how? That's what Paul did. Paul was anticipating this. How was he anticipating this? By the wisdom that had been given to him. Who gave him the wisdom? The Spirit of God, which Peter will write about in an earlier portion of the book of 2 Peter. But he will go on, and he reminds us of these things. He says, this is not the first time that you readers have heard this instruction. You've heard it from Paul, who had this wisdom from the Lord. Now we look into these. the end of verse 16. He says that we are not to follow those which are ignorant and unstable, twisted to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Do you catch what Peter just did? Peter equated the writings of Paul as authoritative and on equal footing as the scriptures. He affirmed Paul's writings as scripture. And he says that there are those who, because these doctrines are difficult, they're going to twist and distort As they do all of the other scriptures, they're going to twist and distort the New Testament. Beloved, I think we're seeing that today. We're seeing that distortion today. And as we see that distortion, we look around and we say, what should the church do to reach out to Generation Alpha, which we just heard existed, and Generation Beta, which is about to exist? What should we do while we also minister to the six other generations that are already in the church. Peter would say, be ready. Listen to the scriptures. 
Be ready. Listen to the scriptures. Paul had written to these believers concerning the same kinds of matters. And Peter affirms Paul's words as being on equal footing with the other scriptures, that is, the Old Testament. Peter's answer to an unfuture certain was to use the scriptures to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. In fact, before we leave here in 2 Peter, look at the very end, verse 18 of chapter 3. Notice what he says. Peter writes this to this community of believers who had been cast out in dispersion, who were suffering immensely. Notice what he says, verse 18, but grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now to the day of eternity. How do we do that? It says verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I don't believe that Peter made those warnings in a nutshell that was only this tiny cocoon of things surrounding these believers who were cast out in dispersion. Peter is certainly writing to them. But we see in our day and age a distortion, a twisting, and the believer losing their stability because we're chasing after all these consumeristic and commercialized ideas of the church. What does the next generation need? As much as we are looking ahead to the eighth generation to join the church, we must recognize that it takes one generation to lose the church. Christ is the one who's building his church. We understand that great truth, and praise God he is, because we would have messed it up a long time ago. But we must understand that you and I have a role and a task to fulfill. And we will see that role and task fulfilled and the messages to come. We'll see that in the vision, mission, and values of the church. We're seeing it rising up out of our committees as they are beginning to do the work of mission, vision, and values as well to understand what they are to be doing so that we can be diligent in making sure that more people are involved in ministry and that you are found faithful when Christ returns. Because if it's just left up to the leadership, then we will have a consumeristic, commercialized church. Because whatever drives the masses drives the leadership. But we must be those who are driven back in a time like this to the Word of God. What is the next generation's greatest need? They need to know the God of the Scriptures. And they can't get a watered-down version because it's popular. They need the truth. And so the Scriptures remind us that you and I have a task to do, and this will be our emphasis this week and next week. And it is our emphasis and mission as a church. We are to be making disciples. Who make disciples? When Christ said on Matthew Chapter 28, verses 19, Go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. He didn't say, stop when it's convenient, and say, stop when you don't know how to go forward. He said, make disciples, and then teach them to follow me. 
That is the church's mission. That means we have to be good at reaching to the lost and then teaching them. We're going to see this lived out in the next few weeks to come and how we're going to accomplish that in 2024. But I want us to understand a few elements that are necessary before we even get there. You cannot make disciples of you. You have to make disciples of Christ. How do we do that? Well, we must understand the inspiration of Scripture. We must understand this foundation of God's Word. And so we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16, the Scripture says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture is breathed out. Some of your translations may say inspired. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's important to understand that God did not provide each author inspiration. There may be this false idea, and I think this is rampant in our world today, that God inspired the authors and not the text. But did you catch what was said? All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is inspired by God. God did not inspire the writers, Instead, this indicates that Scripture originated by or through the work of God as its source. In fact, as we understand 2 Peter 1.20 and 21a, which says, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, we again see that the Spirit is the one doing the work as He is superintending them to write, certainly, using human authors, certainly. Reflecting the characteristics of each author, yes, but the message was God's message. The message is God's message. So therefore, it is critical that you and I understand that Paul just didn't have a brief moment of inspiration like, ah, I'm going to (laughs) write. And this will be the words of God. That's not how inspiration works. The scriptures are authoritative. Because they are inspired. What's here is inspired. What's found here is God's word. Beloved, let us not believe in this false concept that somehow you can catch a glimpse of inspiration and that that is somehow God's word. It's not. You can be inspired by a beautiful Sunday morning. You can be inspired by a dreary Sunday morning such as our Sunday morning. You could be inspired by the activities of somebody else and their sacrifice or their love or their provision or their giftedness. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as God superintended to write God's message. And it's the message that's inspired. We'll dig into inspiration more. We dig into it a lot already. We'll dig into it in my systematic theology class eventually, and it happens during the adult biofellowship hour at some time down the road. We'll dig into it more on Sunday night and Sunday morning, but it's general principles we must understand today. What you hold in your hand as the 66 books of the Word of God are the Word of God, they're inspired. 
Not the authors. The authors were good men. The authors were used of God to accomplish great things. But they were not inspired. What they wrote was inspired. Digging one step deeper, we understand that because they were inspired, that they come from God, notice their sufficiency. First or Second Timothy again, chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God, that is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul speaks of the value of Scripture. Just as much as it was for Timothy, we find the Scripture to do the same today. If we listen and obey the Scriptures, you will grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Let me say that again, because it's not some formula that's difficult to understand. It's difficult to follow, yes, but it's not difficult to understand. It's not generationally based. It's not based upon your preferences. It's not based upon your likes or dislikes. It's not based upon your consistency or inconsistency. The Word of God is faithful. And so let me say it again. We find the Scriptures being sufficient in every way for every generation. Just as it was for Timothy. If you will stop, listen, obey, and grow. Listen, obey, and grow. The Scriptures are doing that work. The Scriptures will not be hindered in their work, and they will continue to be used of the Lord to build His church. But the question is, are you engaged in it? Are you participating in it? Are you the one who is driving up to the McDonald's line and demanding Burger King's establishment phrase? Your way right away. We tend to do that. We pull into the church as if it's our own. We bring our own baggage and we assume that it's somebody else's job to cause us to grow. And there is, as we will get into next week, a responsibility that we all have to encourage one another, to press on one another towards the things of godliness, to disciple one another. And we're going to define what that term means in the coming days. There is that responsibility. But when you pull into Scripture and you demand your consumeristic, commercialized version of the church, you will be sorely disappointed. Because at some point down the road, the music isn't going to cater to you anymore. At some point down the road, the preacher's going to be boring. Maybe today. At some point down the road, it's not going to be fulfilling to your saturated cravings for sugar. It's not found there. We will find that Scripture does what it did for Timothy if we will listen, obey, and grow. Paul says that Scriptures are profitable for teaching, that is for doctrine. 
We kind of view doctrine as that which is for scholars. Paul says that the scriptures are profitable for teaching. Everything you do as a Christian is based in the faithful practice of or the negligence of doctrine. Everything. He says that it's also profitable for reproof. Reproof makes you aware of sin. That's the negative statement. You become aware of your sin. Scripture should convict you. If you can spend time in the pages of the Word of God and walk away saying, wow, I'm a very special person, you were not paying attention to the Word of God. It should correct. Scripture is profitable for the correction, critical to spiritual growth and development. It is that which helps us take what is reproved and go the direction we're supposed to go. This is the positive side of reproof. This is, you've been convicted of sin, and now it gives you the course, the direction that you are to follow. Scripture is not a vacuum. It doesn't convict you of sin and say, now figure it out. It tells you what you must do. And so it is profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness is what many of you, or at least the training word, what many of you may do tomorrow as you establish your New Year's resolution. I'm going to Work out. I'm going to train for diligence. I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to do it diligently in that last three weeks. (laughs) That's not the type. That's the word being used, but that's not what Paul has in mind. When he says that the word of God is profitable for training and righteousness, it is that going to the gym spiritually for spiritual refining and training for righteousness. And it better not just last three weeks. That's what it means. The scriptures are your spiritual gym. You dig into it and you get fit for righteousness. By the way, Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to Timothy here who knows Christ. If you do not yet know Christ as Savior, then scripture is profitable to reveal to you your need for Christ. You need Christ. You need to accept Christ alone for your salvation. If you try to train in righteousness, you're going to be frustrated and aggravated because you don't have the most essential element, and that is a relationship with your Savior. You have to start there. But if you know Christ as Savior, then Scripture is profitable. for Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. That the man of God would be equipped for every good work. The church must proclaim the scriptures as unrivaled in their profitability. I don't understand and I truly am lost when it comes to meeting others and other pastors and ministries when they diminish the profitability of scripture and increase the profitability of their systems or methods or music or styles. Beloved, we must proclaim that the Scriptures are unrivaled in its profitability. We certainly do pay attention to Generation Beta that's about to arrive on the scene. And we pay attention to the seven previous generations that are currently in the church today. But what is it that we all need? It's not our stylistic approach. We're going to find times where the service is exactly what we think it should be. And there's other times where we think it should be something very different than what it is. 
But what unites us together is not style. What unites us together is the authority and the unrivaled profitability of the Word of God. Through the ministry of the Spirit of God to believers who are to be using their gifts in the body of Christ for the glory of God. It is not about our likes or dislikes. When we begin to understand these truths, we begin to realize that there is nothing more important than the health and spiritual vitality of the believer and the only way that the life, the spiritual life, and the spiritual vitality of the believer is increasing is if they are found diligently in the things the Word of God. That was the quote, the Martin Luther quote, that Mike read for us a few moments ago. What, what an important statement from Luther on the value and the authority of the Word of God. We also recognize, not only in its sufficiency, it's sufficient. There's nothing lacking, by the way, as we wrap that up, but we also understand that it's authoritative Just as it is written through the work of the Spirit, so too it is through the ministry of the Spirit that the believer rightly recognizes the Scripture is divinely authoritative. And so Paul is referring this to Timothy, saying the Scriptures are profitable for this. Obey them, follow them, and through that comes the ministry of the Spirit of God. Due to the fallen condition of sinners, the authority of the Scriptures, listen carefully, the authority of the Scriptures will be resisted and it will be rejected except by the witness and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. If you were to sit into my systematic theology class this morning, we go through our core basic pillars of faith. And one of those is that God has revealed himself in his word. And the other, one of the other of the four, is that in the flesh you and I have a propensity to reject it. You and I reject it. But when we're obedient, we're following through, we're reading the Scriptures and we're, using, we're allowing the Scriptures to be used of the Holy Spirit in us, then we recognize it as profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That you may be sufficiently equipped for the task that you will be judged on. That's the authority of Scriptures. Spending a time in the Word of God is absolutely essential. And it must pass from generation to generation. You have a responsibility to teach the next generation how to be faithful students of the Word of God. You have the responsibility not just in your children's lives, but in the lives of other believers because you are not exempt from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And I am not exempt from telling you that you're exempt. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We must be those who are making disciples. And in order to do that, we must be passing on the love of Scriptures from generation to generation. This is our prerogative. This is our greatest responsibility. If this is to be the case, we must take seriously the preaching ministry of the fellowship and the teaching ministry of the fellowship. And we must take seriously the hearers listening. That's next week's theme. So, what does Paul tell Timothy to do? Well, notice, going back, 
into 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he says this, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul tells Timothy, be committed to faithful preaching. Be committed to faithful teaching. Stop wrangling with words that do no good. And be committed to faithful teaching. Avoid worthless arguments. Avoid worthless arguments. Paul warns Timothy to charge the people under his care. He says this, this is not Timothy's job, this is what Timothy is supposed to tell them their job is. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. It's the preacher's job to say, this is the truth, stick in the truth, avoid quarreling with worthless words. The context of this passage is we Go back up into chapter 2 a little further in, and into chapter 1. Paul names two individuals that he probably had in mind here. But there's a greater context than just these two. You can say, well, we don't have these two individuals in the church. Uh, we do, I think, in many ways. Maybe not by their name. We certainly don't have them in person. But we have their characteristics still that remain in the church at large. But Paul has something greater. These two just represent it. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, all the way back to his first letter. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And listen, if this doesn't describe a lot of those people that's easy to listen to in podcasts, in writing music, or writing books, or uh, preaching in some other context, notice Notice this, verse 7, desiring to be teachers, actually verse 6, certain persons have swerved from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. Oh, that's our tie. Verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertions. You have ignorant people teaching ignorant people. And they're doing so confidently. And nobody's discerning that the confident assertions of the ignorance are to their detriment. There were those who made a splash, but had no understanding. Today, there are those who make a splash. They're popular. They're consumeristic, commercialized. They're making a splash, but they have no understanding, and worse, they're making confident assertions about what is wrong. And they're leading astray people who have failed to accurately handle the word of truth. The church is filled with such, quote-unquote, preachers today. In fact, even the secular world arrests them, tries them, and the church puts them right back into authority again. It's staggering how quickly a pastor can fall in disgrace today, be arrested by the secular society, condemned by secular society, and then two months after they've gotten freed from whatever the penalty was for their crime, they're starting a new church somewhere. The church is filled with such preachers. Some are easy to identify. Others are more subtle. They sound right. 
but their messages come from a place of ignorance, and they only ruin the hearers. Today, these are those who appease the consumer church attender. Seldom do they offend the flesh, but they can create a pseudo-spiritual high that those who walk out say, wow, what a service today. Paul continues with Timothy because he's instructing his young protege. Verse 15, he says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The greatest fear that any preacher of the word of God should possess is to stand before his creator God, ashamed. Ashamed. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, practice accuracy over appeasement. Communicate what God has written. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble that will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hyamanus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Paul points to another two in the church, and he says, look at their example. They're upsetting. They're drawing a crowd. Believers have become unstable because of the crowd of these two. And why? Because of irreverent babble. Appeasement. Instead of accuracy, it must be noted that all believers, listen carefully, all believers, no matter how old you are in the faith, are going to struggle at this point. Why? Because every day we have to take off the old and put on the new. Every day we have to choose to follow Christ. And we have our friends and we have our co-workers, and we have others who are demanding that we listen to their points of view. Oh, you better attend our church. We have this and this and this and this. But the preacher who accurately handles the word of truth will be approved by God. Beloved, I want every preacher that invests into me, and I want every preacher that invests into you, to be one who stands before his Savior at the end of the age and hears the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want every preacher that I listen to and every preacher you listen to to be one who stands approved at the end of the age. We must take great care to avoid the teacher or the preacher of the word of God, or rather who says that they're of the word of God, but does not accurately handle the word of truth. We must be very careful to avoid them especially in a day when you can turn on podcasts, YouTube, books, blogs, and on and on. We must follow accuracy over appeasement. And as we've already studied, we must be those who are diligent to be approved. It is necessary for the believer, especially the teacher and preacher, to be diligent to be approved by God. We are not seeking leaders. What does this not mean? We are not seeking leaders who are perfect. No leaders are. But we are seeking teachers, music, books, 
podcasts, other preachers, in person and online, who are diligent in pursuing godliness, who are diligent in proclaiming the truth of the Word of God, who are diligent, whether it be in song lyrics or in book titles, are diligent in presenting to us the Word of God accurately, not for the sake of appeasement, not for the money to come in, but for the sake of accuracy. The first warning to us of failure in this area are those who appease men or other people instead of God. The approval means, this idea of being approved by God, means this testing anticipates a future examination at the judgment seat of the Creator. What Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, be accurate because one day you will stand before your Creator. Timothy, be diligent to stand approved because one day you will stand before the Creator. James would write the same. He says, teachers encourage stricter judgments. Paul is saying, Timothy, be careful. God is the judge. Therefore, the assessment will be based on how God judges the teacher, not how people judge the teacher. But most preachers, we like to be liked. We like people to like us. Let us find those who are more concerned about God approving than people liking. What does this mean for us? Going back to chapter 3, verse 17, we're going to, this is more of a transition to next week. We're concluding here. Introducing it so that we're ready for next week. 2 Timothy 3.17 That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You and I must be those who are devoted to God's perfect word. John 17.17 In the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, Sanctify them, he's speaking to the Father, Sanctify them in truth, your word is true. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 The writer of Hebrews says, it is impossible for God to lie. The word of God must propel believers to maturity. It is not sufficient for us to be consumed with a Happy Meal toy in the life of Christ. When you're a child, you think like a child, you act like a child. It's one thing to be a child. But you are to grow up. You are to eat the solid food and move out of the Happy Meal toy and into the solid food. Your growth in Christ is not optional. You can reject it and stay in a consumeristic, commercialized society. But you will be judged based on it. You are called, you are commanded to grow. However, while you've been given the tools, the flesh will still get in the way. The flesh will still get in the way. The tools are here. Paul says to Timothy, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God... 
so that you who are followers of Jesus Christ may be complete, equipped for every good work. What is lacking in your growth may very well be your time in the Word of God. You say, but I haven't been growing. Turn to the Word of God. Spend time in the Word of God. Beloved, we have availability of resources today that have never existed. I, was just, I just downloaded a new app on my phone called Step Bible. And in it, you can read through the text. Each word that's underlined in the text, you can study its entire Greek origin or Hebrew origin or Aramaic origin all the way out from an app touching on the button. That's it. I downloaded another app this past week that is the complete audio version of the ESV and a new translation that has just come out as well. All there, all free. We live in a day and age that we should be digging into the Word of God more intently, but instead we are distracted by consumerism. If you're not growing in the things of the Lord, dig into the Word of God. Because this is the purpose of the Word of God. God has communicated to you and I through His Word. He sent His Spirit to help you understand His written Word. The Word of God is demonstrated by Paul's confident assertions and assurances is that Scripture is sufficiently adequate to fulfill your growing process of maturity and to equip you for the work that one day God will judge you on completing. You will all stand. You will all stand before your Creator God. If you do not know Christ as Savior, Philippians chapter 2 says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of the Father. You will bow the knee to Christ, but it will be too late. And so your response today is to accept Christ as your Savior and then follow what we've learned about the authority, the inspiration of the Word of God. But if you know Christ as Savior... You must grow to maturity. Because one day when you stand before the Savior, you will, mean, you will not be judged on how many vacations you took, on how much you spent on this or on that. You will be spent, did you, you will be judged on the time spent in answering the question, did you do what God directed you to do? Did you obey? Did you follow Him? Did you lead others? And we know the two commands that you and I have. Go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. You and I will be judged on those statements. The Word of God is more than sufficient, abundantly sufficient, to accomplish what God has started in you. Next week, as we return back to this theme of foundations, we're going to be asking the question, how do you listen? How do you listen well? How do you listen with discernment? And how do you listen with the intention of obedience? There's a lot for us to learn next week. We live in a generation where we're inundated with all kinds of noise. We need to be re-instructed on how to listen and how to follow God's Word.
Let's close this portion of our time in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for the time we could spend in your word today. We thank you for the privilege of holding your word in our hands. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments as we sing in response to your word, that we would continue in a heart of worship, that we would praise you for your word, and as we begin this season, this new season, this new year, that whether it be through reading through the Bible this year or reading through selected portions, whatever it would be, that we would be those who dig deeply into your word to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. Lord, I thank you for the leadership that you have provided for this fellowship, those who lead in music, those who lead in ministries, those who lead us in various other capacities of the fellowship and the work that they have done this year. We praise you for them. We pray that as we obey, listen to your word and respond, that we would be joining to their number, those who are found faithful using their gifts, that we would be found faithful in making disciples and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Lord, I pray that we take these things seriously, that your name would be glorified, that one day we will stand approved as we stand before our Creator. We listen to our Savior, hear the, say those words, well done, good, and faithful servant. Lord, we love you. We pray now in response that we would be those who passionately, with zeal, follow after you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.